It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April 12, 2012. Appreciate you being on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to join you, as always, on Thursday night for a little Bible study over the Internet. And it is, and uh, we're looking forward to the discussion with you. The number to call is 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room is open to the right of your viewing window if you're watching us live on the program tonight. We've got uh, some special help in the, in the studio tonight. Uh, the back Jeff, of the studio. Jeff is on the board, and, and our buddy Nick Law from Jennings, Florida, is joining us. Uh, and we're going to try to get him to chime in. He, he's not up front with us, but we got a camera on. We can look at him if we, if we get him to say something. All right, he's ready to go. So we'll look forward to, to that as well tonight. An interesting topic planned, as usual, on the program tonight. And where did you get this idea? Well, I, I have done some teaching in the past on this subject and found it interesting to me. Uh, I hope it's interesting to others. I think it's a very essential subject. It has to do with the testimony of eyewitnesses that we find in the New Testament. Those who were with Jesus, those who observed his miracles, in particular those who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, really... Uh, what they say is the basis of our faith. Our faith depends on their testimony, and so it's important for us to make sure that what they said is is trustworthy. That we can that we can depend upon what they said. That it's that we can verify that they were telling the truth when they told us what they said in the New Testament. So we want to talk about the the eyewitness testimony concerning Jesus Christ as the resurrected Son of God. It's interesting that, 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 that it is it is crucial to our faith, but I don't guess we talk about it all that much. No, I. I but if we uh, if we take away that testimony, we got nothing really. That's right. So there have been critics and skeptics through the centuries who have tried to discount those men as being credible witnesses. That maybe they've attacked their honesty, maybe they've attacked their their uh, ability to relate the story, maybe that they were deceived or somehow hallucinated or did something else you know that that would so skeptics have tried a variety of means to discount their testimony we'll talk some about that as we go through our study tonight all right we look forward to your comments and your uh, answers to these questions you sent out earlier today yeah to our update list earlier today always remind you get on our list if you're not send us an email to questions at collegeview.com put me on the list that's all you got to say we'll add you and on Thursday, you'll get an email telling about our topic for study that night and asking some questions for your consideration. And you can start giving feedback, as a couple of folks did already. We've got Jim in Kentucky who's given us some feedback, and Chris in the U.K. who has joined in and given us some feedback. The U.K., all So right. we get, we're getting uh, participation from the other side of the world tonight. Uh, Chris has been on with us before on the Virtual Bible Study. Chris, glad that you are Helping out with some answers tonight to our questions. Here's what we said. I don't see him on tonight. I think he, he may be in yeah, bed. Yeah, it's two o'clock in the morning over there in England. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, he has been on before, but it's it's obviously a, a stretch to stay up till two a.m. to yeah. to join us live. But he did give us an email. We'll consider Appreciate his comment. That. The questions we sent out earlier today were these. Number one, why is it important that we be able to verify the testimony of the eyewitnesses of Jesus? So why is their testimony important? We'll talk about that. Number two, if you were attempting to prove something based upon the upon the testimony of eyewitnesses, what things are critical to the case you are presenting? Mm-hmm. Now, that's just sort of looking at it from a legal perspective. If you were going to go into a court of law mm-hmm. and you were trying to convince a jury of a conclusion and you had eyewitnesses who were going to say it's a murder trial mm-hmm. and you had some eyewitnesses who were going to testify in this murder trial, 
what would need to be true of those witnesses if you're going to convict that guy that's charged with the murder? Right. So we're going to look at it that way. Then, based upon the third question was based upon that answer to the previous question, do the eyewitnesses of Jesus provide these essentials? In other words, what's essential in eyewitness? Do the eyewitnesses of Jesus supply those essentials? And then finally, is it reasonable to believe in Jesus as the resurrected Son of God based upon the testimony of the eyewitnesses whose reports are in the New Testament? Very good questions, and we look forward to your good answers. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And uh, if you're not logged in the chat room, do so there as that will be filling up as the program goes on tonight. Well, let's talk about that first question. Let's let's emphasize. I think it's an important place to begin our study tonight. Let's emphasize why it's so important for us to have verifiable testimony from eyewitnesses about Jesus. Jim in Kentucky says God's word is provided to create faith, Romans ten seventeen. That faith is what guides us in this life to obey God and revere and respect his word. These eyewitnesses are the ones who were chosen to communicate his word. They are thus presenting us with the information that creates faith so that we can have fellowship with God. If we cannot trust what they said, then we cannot trust that they are revealing God's truth to us. In short, if we cannot trust the account of the eyewitnesses, then we have no evidence to prove what they are revealing as truth and thus cannot have a guarantee that we please God in what we do, say, and teach. I think Jim is on the the critical point there. Our faith depends upon these eyewitnesses. We weren't there, obviously. We didn't see these things ourselves. And so we're going to have to have somebody tell us about it. Right. And we've got to be able to prove that they're telling us the truth. That's right. All right. And uh, Chris in uh, the U.K., I sort of wish I could had a British accent to read this. Uh, but he told us where he was in the U.K. last time, and I can't remember what town it was. Well, but I'm sure he's got a good British accent. Yes. That's right. Okay. Uh, Christianity is a belief that not only claims to be true, but to claim it is based on historical events. So the veracity of those historical events must be proven uh, to be true, uh, credible eyewitness, uh, by true credible eyewitnesses accounts. The books of the Bible, including the Gospels, were written by over 40 independent sources, which could be verified or disqualified by contemporaries with the means, motive, and opportunity to do so. When we study the Bible... We should apply the same standards as we would any historical document. To quote Simon Greenleaf, co-founder of the Harvard Law School, all Christianity asks of men on this subject is that they would be consistent with themselves, that they would treat the evidence of other things, and that they would try and judge its actors and witnesses as they deal with their fellow men when testifying to human affairs and actions in human tribunals. Let the witnesses be compared with themselves, with each other, with the, and with surrounding facts and circumstances, and let their testimony be sifted as if it were in a court of justice on the side of the adverse party, the witness being subjected to a rigorous cross-examination. The Bible invites such investigation as in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, 1 John 4, verse 1, or Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. It is important to know if testimony is true. I think Chris is also right on. It's interesting that he mentions Simon Greenleaf because an essay written by Simon Greenleaf is what got me studying about this a little more thoroughly than I had in the past. Some of our listeners may like to look on the Internet, and you can find an essay by Simon Greenleaf about the testimony uh, of the eyewitnesses. Is it credible? Uh, Greenleaf was lived back in the early 1800s, as as Chris mentions, he was a co-founder of the Harvard Law School. He actually was a legal scholar, obviously, and analyzed the eyewitness testimony in the New Testament from the standpoint of a legal expert and came to the conclusion that they were believable. All right. So that's an interesting essay for any who want to pursue it. It's interesting that Chris quoted from that. And Simon Greenleaf. Yeah, very interesting essay. It's real long. And as, as that quote that Chris gave us right there, it's it's full of what we often refer to as legal ease, the, the language of lawyers. So we don't want it's not it's not normal English. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you can you can wade through it, and it makes it, it makes an interesting read. A lot of those green leaves around right now. Yeah. So uh, I, I think both of these comments are on our our chat room is real quiet, but uh, get get in there and tell us why you think the testimony of eyewitnesses is important. Again, if I was going to put it in the very simplest terms, the eyewitness testimony is essential because we weren't there. You know, I can believe some things 
because I saw it with my own eyes. Right. I experienced it personally. I, I can believe those things. I don't, nobody has to tell me. I saw it myself. But in regards to things that I haven't seen, I'm depending upon someone else to tell me about it. Now, if they're going to tell me about it, i got to know they're telling me the truth that I can trust them uh, if I'm going to have any confidence in in the conclusion. Nick, is it is it reasonable to accept things based upon others' testimony and witness? Well, I, I think uh, in our land today, our court systems rely upon that many times as people give testimony uh, and people are willing to accept, you know, the eyewitness testimony of people that are credible. Of course, the problem with humankind is is not only do you have true witnesses, but you have false witnesses. Uh, but as we turn to the Bible, we see that God has given evidence uh, through signs, wonders, and miracles, uh, which uh, was confirming the word that was spoken, uh, whether it be by our Lord Jesus or, or whether it be by the apostles and other inspired men. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room, guest 798 says the number of witnesses has always been associated with justice and truth. Deuteronomy 17.6. Uh, and it says two or three. Oh, two or three needed under the old covenant. Right. Let me read that. It says, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. So a good, good tie in there that under the Old Testament law, you had to have multiple witnesses to prove a fact. If you're going to charge someone with a capital crime in particular, you couldn't take just the word of one witness. You had to have two or three at least to confirm it to be so. 798 goes on and says, We have over 500 witnesses to the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 8. Bottom line, the more witnesses, the stronger the evidence to substantiate a claim that is the resurrection. Yeah, we want to talk about that, the number of eyewitnesses. Deal with that uh, in some detail as we go through this. Let's start out, uh, and, and some of the comments of our uh, uh, in our chat room, some of these emails will be important as we go along here. What do we want? We ask the question, if you were going to try to, let's just say you're going to a court of law and you need to prove a point, what do you want in your eyewitnesses? Well, the first thing that you got to have is you got to have people of basic inherent honesty. You know, if if a man's a known liar, and it can be proven that he has that he's a compulsive liar, that that he has a track record for that, then there's no use calling him to the witness stand. In fact, you'd hurt your case rather than help it. If if what you had was a man who was just a compulsive liar, you got to have some basic honesty. But the fact of the matter is, most people tell the truth unless they have some motive to do otherwise. Mm. In other words, if we're just engaged in a normal conversation, Jacob, the, and you don't have any reason to be lying to me, then I, right. then you would tell me the truth. But if you're a dishonest person and you think that you might make some money by telling a lie, or that you might, in some way or another, uh, advantage your position by not telling the truth. You might do it, but in other words, if you had a motive, you might lie. But but in the absence of a prevailing motive, you would normally tell the truth. I definitely wouldn't tell the truth if it was going to be detrimental to my well-being. Right. If, I, if I if I don't have any if I don't have any scruples against it. If I'm a, if I'm a not dishonest person, and you're asking me to tell something uh, that is true that will hurt me, then I would be tempted. In other words, I, I'm asking you a question. And depending on your answer, it could cost you $1,000 or not. Right. Well, yeah. I'm and so be careful about that. if you're an honest person, you'll tell the truth anyway. But if you're a dishonest person right. and you've got the motive, I could save myself 1000 bucks in this deal. Right. If you're a dishonest person, you'll lie. Right. Uh, and so uh, when we think about the, the, uh, the witnesses of Jesus... Think about their motive. What motive? If they, if what they told about Jesus was a lie, mm-hmm. now think about what they're saying. They're saying we were with him. We saw him perform miracles of amazing variety, and in particular, after the Romans hung him on a cross and he died, we saw him alive again three days later. Yes. Now, what motive would they have had to tell that tale if it wasn't true? Well, think about it this way. I've, I've suggested this before in studies. 
Let's say Peter gets up before the other apostles and he says, listen, man, I got an idea. Oh, okay. Jesus, Jesus is dead. I mean, he's dead and he's staying dead. But I think that we might be able to make some money. We could go on a speaker's tour. Oh. And we could, we could draw a big fee from people who wanted to hear us tell this story. Let's say that we saw him alive after he was dead. Yeah. I think that we could get famous. I think we could get rich. Wow. By telling that tale. We know it's not true, but let's just tell let's the tale. Let's try it. Why not? Let's, well, try, let's it. try it. Okay. So so he, he's Peter's pretty persuasive guy, mm-hmm. and he convinces the other apostles to go along with this scheme. Yeah, I'm in. Get let's rich, get rich, get famous okay. by telling what what they knew wasn't true. And we'll be in the money. That Jesus was resurrected. In other words, we're just pretending this scenario was the case. All right, so they start telling the tale. What happens? Oh, well, they start getting persecuted. Doesn't work like that. I mean, almost right out of the box, they start facing all kinds of hardships and difficulties. They're persecuted. They're thrown in prison. Even Eventually, some of them begin to be put to death. After a little while, don't you think that some of them would have said, Listen, Peter. You had a really bad idea. Yeah, this was. A and I'm bailing out. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not continuing this. But the fact of the matter is, they never quit telling the story. Right. So what this does is confirm to us their honesty. They were honest individuals. The motive would have been to not tell this right. to avoid the persecution, but they continued to tell it. Uh, real quickly, I know we're past break time, but let me give you a couple examples from Acts chapter four, beginning verse eighteen. The Jewish council called the apostles and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, here's this Jewish council, very powerful men. Same ones that had, that had, had caused the death of Jesus, right. that had insisted that Pilate crucify Jesus. These men have the power to do you some real trouble. Yes. And when they threatened the apostles, the apostles said, you, you, you decide what you would do, but we can, we can only continue to speak the things that we've seen and heard. Then in the next chapter, Acts chapter 5, verse 28, they, the same council called the apostles again and said, Acts 5, 28, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? The apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree, and we are his witnesses of these things. So when, verse 40 goes on to say, When they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so they quit talking about Jesus. No, no, no. It says, They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And so the point we're making here is, they had no incentive to continue that story except that they knew it was true and they couldn't be still about the truth. And so this really confirms their honesty. They were honest men. They were telling what they believed to be the facts of the matter. They were not telling a lie. If they were telling a lie, they would have hushed up when they began to be persecuted. They never hushed up. And a few days, literally just a few days, a few weeks prior to that, standing before... Uh, being threatened with the same punishment when Jesus was under uh, trial, they denied him. Yeah, and all this, of them did. Peter very, you know, specifically, but it says they all forsook him and fled. And now, just a few weeks later, that this uh, this conviction certainly shows that they weren't lying. Exactly uh, they right. had uh, they had no motive to do that. Exactly right. All right. Let's get a break, and then we'll continue the discussion. We want to talk with you on the other side about uh, what are some things that are critical. Um, of evidence that you want to present in a trial, what things would be necessary in order for you to convince someone that the testimony is true. Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'll take a break and be back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Do you remember when no one would have thought twice about getting the church involved in daycare centers, kindergartens, softball leagues, and youth camps? Are you upset when churches spend more time and money on social programs and recreational activities than on spreading the gospel? Are you tired of seeing congregations with their emphasis in entirely the wrong areas? 
The Conjury Church is still preaching the same gospel and practicing the same things that you remember from years ago. They're committed to the idea of speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Check them out. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Be a building block, not a stumbling block. Give thanks each day. You'll never get to live it over again. Happiness is inward and not outward. It does not depend on what we have, but on what we are. No person is too big to be kind and courteous, but many people are too little. A man's reputation is the opinion other people have of him. His character is what he really is. A weak mind is like a microscope which magnifies trifling things but cannot receive great ones. Man, I wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. We're glad that you're on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. As we look at the eyewitness testimony concerning Christ, it is fundamental uh, to our faith and uh, fundamental uh, to proving to us that Christ did, in fact, raise from the dead. We're talking about that on the program tonight and looking forward to your comments on the phone. It's toll-free. The line is open. Or use that chat room to the right of your video window and uh, share with us your thoughts. My computer's talking wow, to us. Wow, that thing is, uh, yeah. Winding playing over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, what, we're, what we've tried to establish, Jacob, is that one of the clearly necessary things is that you got to have honest people. you got to be able to, to be sure that they had no motive to be telling lies, and the apostles had no motive to be telling a lie about the resurrection no, they didn't. of Jesus. No, they didn't. All right. Uh, uh, maybe pick up a comment here from uh, Jim in his email. Uh, he said, uh, what you need is to be able to corroborate their testimony as being accurate. In other words, that they put the same people in the same place at the same time, the same event. That Jesus died on the cross, all did see, the eyewitnesses saw it, at the same time, on the same day prior to the Sabbath, in the same place, Golgotha, outside of Jerusalem. They all saw the same event at the same time, in the same place. They all described the same event, a crucifixion. Even the Roman soldiers recorded as seeing this event on that same day at that time, Matthew 27, verse 4. Basically, what he is saying is that what you have to have is testimony that is in agreement with, with one another. Facts have to jive. In other words, you've got to have honest people, and you've got to have consistent testimony from them. But before we get to that, I, I want to make one additional point. Jacob, check the chat room. We're getting some the comments. The chat room is that it slid off my screen, but we've got some good comments there. You want yeah. that now? Yeah, you might look at that. I, I yeah. want to talk about one other point about these witnesses before we get to this idea of them all saying the same thing. And that is that you've got to have witnesses that had a basic capability to tell a story. In other words, to see something and then be able to repeat what they saw. They had to have the mental faculties to they, do they just had, Yeah, they had to have the basic raw intelligence to be able to see something, remember it, and then be able to retell it later on. That would be necessary in any eyewitness. And in regards to the apostles, uh, those who were eye, not just the apostles, but those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, they had that ability. I'm, I'm impressed by a statement that Peter made in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 16. He said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, Peter there is talking about the transfiguration, obviously. But it seems like Peter was sensitive to the accusation that they had just followed a, uh, a, a fairy tale, that they were gullible enough to believe a myth. And he makes the point, that's not the case. He said, when I tell you what I'm telling you about Jesus, this is not some cunningly devised fable that's been handed down to us. I'm going to tell you, he says, I was an eyewitness we were there. And so uh, Peter was really stressing, don't don't put it on me that I'm just telling, I'm passing along a tall tale that was handed down. I'm telling you what I saw with my own eyes. And John did the same thing. First John chapter 1, beginning verse 1. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. John, again, notice, stressing, I was there. Yeah. I, I mean, I personally experienced these things. I saw him with my eyes. I touched him with my hands. We've seen and heard him, and we're declaring that to you. So the, the apostles stressed, we were there, we're telling you what we saw. And I, I, I think that's the, you know, a very valuable point. Nick? Uh, well, that, that was the very point I was thinking of. When you think of uh, Peter, who denied him, you think of Thomas, who was a highly skeptical person, who said, I won't believe Jesus has arisen. It's the same man unless I can touch. And so you've got someone there who had been with him uh, and, and seen many things that he did, and yet that skepticalness of him came to to the point where he said, he's the God of me, the Lord of me. That's right. He wasn't, like you said, he wasn't gullible enough to say, well, I'll just, if you say so, it's uh, I, I, it must be so if you say so. He said, I'm not going to believe it until I see it with my own eyes. And so John, with my own hands. John is confirming that again in First John 1 when he says we saw it, we handled it, and, exactly. and we're declaring it. You know, I think sometimes we imagine that those people were so uneducated and so backward, uh, you know, they were so simple that you could deceive them. You know, you just pull a trick on them and they, they'd fall for it every time. And that's really not the case. You know, uh, uh, Thomas, I think that you bring up, Nick, is a good example. They weren't gullible men who would just believe anything somebody told them. Thomas, and, and you know, we often call him Doubting Thomas, but I, I mean, actually his doubt was was reasonable. You're telling me a man came back from the dead? Yeah. I'm not going to believe that until I see it with my own eyes. Well, isn't that what we would say? If, if you came in here tonight, Nick, and said, I want to tell you something I saw last week. There was a guy, he was confirmed dead at the hospital, and three days later... He popped the lid open on his coffin and sat up. I would say, you say what? I, I don't believe that. I, I, I'm sorry, Nick, but I... What, did you I, get that in an email or something? Yeah, yeah, you? yeah I, I just have a hard time believing that, Nick. I, I don't think I could accept that unless I saw it with my own eyes. That, what Thomas did is what we would do. And yet he became convinced when he saw the resurrected Savior. Guest 798 says the character of the witnesses is the next test as to whether the evidence can be accepted. They must be a reliable witness. The character of the witnesses to the resurrection, such as the apostles, is unquestioned since they died for the testimony they gave about Jesus. That's the point we were making, and I think yeah. Guest 798 is exactly right. Their willingness to suffer for the, for the story they were telling proves that they were telling the truth. And we have Henry in the chat room. I think Henry is Chris, isn't he? From, am I oh, that, that might be. Hen is, is that you, Chris? Uh, yeah. Are you Henry yeah. P.? I well, think that's the moniker he was using last time. All right. Uh, he says, uh, if so, he's, uh, the insomnia is back, and we're sorry to hear about that, Chris. Uh, from uh, uh, Vines, eyewitnesses is defined as seen with one's own eyes. Uh, and so it's uh, the auto, uh, which is self, and uh, a pot, no to see. So Luke chapter 1, verse 2, as Luke says, they had seen... With their own eyes, First uh, John chapter he quotes one. First John, which I just read, First John chapter one, and Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen. For which, which I just you read, just quote, you quoted yeah. that one, and First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse three. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, of those uh, seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one, but one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, and am not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So, yeah, and I want to talk some more. We're going to get to another point here in our study, but I want to talk some more about the number of witnesses. Very important point that Chris is making there. And Dell in the chat room says, In a court of law, they will take testimony from someone uh, in written form that has been witnessed and signed by others. This is accepted as a legal statement, and after a person has died, can be admitted into evidence. With all the writings found through the ages, can this also be a verification of an eyewitness uh, by all those that have written the same thing, even while they have been recorded years and centuries apart? Okay. So, in other words, I think the idea of that is the consistency of the reports. Let's talk about that some more. We're up to break time. Let's talk about the idea of these numerous witnesses 
and the consistency of what the, of the story they were telling. All right, we'll talk about that on the other side of this week's Bullet Point. We hope you'll stay tuned, that you'll listen to the Bullet Point, and that you'll get your comments ready to go. The telephone line is wide open. Toll free at 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this message. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Imagine yourself walking into a drugstore to have a prescription filled. You hand the pharmacist the form for the doctor and then watch in amazement as he throws it in the wastebasket without even reading it. And then, without reading the label, he hands you a bottle of pills. But now you've gotten your nerve up and you ask, man, what are you doing? Well, he answers, I'm giving you some medicine. But you didn't read the prescription and you didn't even look at the label on these pills. It doesn't matter, he says. Medicine is medicine. One pill is as good as another. No, sir, you object. I want the pills that my doctor prescribed and no others. There's very little chance that you will ever visit that drugstore again. Common sense says that this is no way to handle the important business of our physical health. Why not allow the same kind of common sense to help us in the far more important realm of spiritual things? For some reason, folks have decided that anything goes in religion. Join the church of your choice has become more than a mere slogan. It's the rule that most people live by. One church is just as good as another, we are told. How can this possibly be so? Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 9, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Note that the Lord says that some worship is in vain, meaning it's worthless or good for nothing. He goes on to explain why it's worthless, because it follows the commandments of men rather than the will of God. Are you sure that one church is as good as another? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. You know, the whole premise of our Christianity revolves around this fact that we're discussing tonight, the resurrection of Christ. If He didn't, uh, wasn't raised from the dead, then, as was just mentioned there, we don't have any authority to go by uh, Jesus' instructions. They, they mean nothing. They're worthless. Jesus is a liar. Christianity is a fraud. And uh, we're wasting our time. And so we're talking about the resurrection tonight and how we can have uh, confidence in the eyewitness testimony that Jesus did, in fact, raise from the dead. Looking forward to hearing from you over the phone, over email, in the chat room tonight, as there are several listeners in the chat room tonight, uh, but uh, not very many chatters uh, participating. We look forward to hearing from you as we continue the discussion tonight. Several have suggested, and I think it's a really important point, Jim. We read Jim's uh, testimony that they all, they were multiple witnesses, and they were all telling the same story. Uh, in, in his email to us, Chris from England said, an eyewitness is a, is a witness that testifies about what they've seen, heard, or experienced. Uh, Greenleaf said their credibility as witnesses he observes it's impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus actually risen from the dead and had they not known this fact as certainty as they knew any other fact. And again, that's... that's, that's what a, you, say, you tell it over and over and you're not going to get the facts straight every time. Well, he's saying they, they wouldn't have persisted in, in telling that truth if it wasn't so. Why would they continue? That's, oh, that's the right, point. that's right. Okay, yes. That's right. the point we were making earlier. Several have referenced that text in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, where Paul lists the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. Uh, he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. So we've got over 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrected Savior. And Paul makes the point, he says, the greater part remain to this present. In other words, he's saying, most of the people who saw, by the time he wrote the letter we call 1 Corinthians, he said, most of the people, most of the 500 who saw Jesus after he was resurrected are still alive. If you care to look them up, you can go ask them yourself. If you'd like to sort of cross-examine them, most of them are still living. Go ask them yourself. That's basically, I think, yeah. if I was putting that in my own words, that's the point that Paul is making there. You know, in a in a court of law, 
one eyewitness, and let's say that there's a murder trial. Let's say we're putting Jeff on trial for murder over here. If I've got, if I'm the prosecuting attorney, and I've got one eyewitness who says, "I was there. I saw Jeff pull the trigger. I saw him shoot the guy." Yes. I, I tell you, as a prosecutor, I got a pretty strong case. I think I can convict him. I, I, but what if a second witness came forward and and said, "I was there too." And I also saw it. I saw the same thing. I want to tell you, two witnesses is more than twice as good. Two witnesses is probably ten times better than yeah. just one. Yeah. If I got three witnesses, it's overwhelming. If I've got four, and their stories a, all line but up, but now their stories all have to be the same. They can't be telling contradictory things. Right. But as long as their story is the same, I got to tell you, if I got four witnesses of them, I want I want to put Jeff under the jailhouse. Right. I, I'm telling you, we got him. He, there's no way he's going to escape co- uh, conviction in this thing. If I've got just four witnesses who are all going to tell the same story under oath. Yeah. Well, in the case of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, we got 500. Right. I mean, that's that's just overwhelming. It it can't it it can't be overstated how important that is that we got 500 witnesses and their stories were all the same. I think you may have mentioned this uh, this math before, but if you took all those 500 witnesses into a court and you put them on the stand for 10 minutes apiece, you'd have over two weeks worth of testimony in an eight-hour day. Yeah, in fact, I think that a a, a judge wouldn't even. If, in other words, let's say this this prosecuting attorney calls in the first witness. He, the guy tells his story. He calls in the second witness. The the witness tells his story. He calls in the third witness. Same thing. Fourth witness, same thing. He, he's, he's called in six, seven, eight witnesses. They're all telling the same story. And the judge says, excuse me there, just a minute, uh, prosecuting attorney, uh, how, how many witnesses do you intend to call? And the prosecutor says, I got 500 people lined up out there in the hallway waiting to come in here. And the judge says, no, no, we're not going to take all that testimony. We get your point. You've got yeah. multiple witnesses of the event. Yeah. You know, That's they, what you call beating a dead horse. They, they, I don't think a, a judge would even allow that much testimony. It's not, it's not necessary. Nick? Yeah, I, I think about whenever you have the Apostle Paul who saw the Lord last, and, again, he was he was one who was fighting against the truth as hard as anyone could have when he changes and, and then he's... Uh, of course, the writer of First Corinthians 15, bringing forth all that evidence, and and that's the way it is with all the uh, uh, the uh, early disciples. We see those who had actually seen Jesus on the cross, seen him after the resurrection. They didn't want to believe believe it was him. They were he's rebuking disciples over and over and over because that is a strange thing. The very one who's called the Son of God, and he died and resurrected from the dead. We see how hard that was for them to believe, who had seen him day in and day out on many occasions. And now now they're dying for that cause. Exactly. Well, and uh, Henry in the chat room uh, says that the word uh, seen, that he was seen of these people, means to gaze upon and recognize what you're seeing with wide eyes. So oh. it's uh, sort of, you know, it's not just... A, I thought it wasn't like that. I saw something. It might have been Jesus. Right? I thought I saw I something. I just walked by and I didn't catch who it was. I, I saw I saw a figure way off there in the distance, and it, it kind of looked like Jesus. I'm not sure, but maybe it was him. That's not that's not the testimony. Not like these the, eyewitnesses seeing the figure of Jesus in a donut or in a. Did you see that last week? Uh, uh, some where was it? Uh, uh, some Catholic church. Uh, some shadow was showing up on a pillar. Oh. And they said it looked like the shadow of Jesus, you know. Uh, that, this wasn't what they were saying. That, that's not what these eyewitnesses, they actually saw the, the bodily form of the resurrected Savior. Um, one thing that we got to deal with here is that the, uh, the reports that these eyewitnesses were giving is the report of a miracle. In other words, okay. now, now here's here's a potential problem with the testimony that we're considering, and that is that these eyewitnesses claim to have witnessed miracles. Uh-huh. Not only the miracles they saw while Jesus was alive, but in particular the miracle of the resurrection. And that's going to be a tough sell. That's a little bit of a red flag because yeah. you know, wait, wait a minute, you want me to believe what? You know, I've used this illustration before. 
If I told you that a man came up to me at a gas station, put a gun in my back, and robbed me, would you believe that? Oh, I mean, probably happen, that, probably yeah, those kind happen, of things yeah. happen, you know. The guy robbed me and he turned and ran away. You you, you probably believe that because that's in in line with the kind of things we know, unfortunately, commonly happen. In He'd our be world. foolish to rob you in the van that you went to the gas station in. That's though. right, but but let's just say, come on, who would rob somebody like that? But what if I told you a guy stuck a gun in my back at the gas station? He robbed me, and then he turned and flapped his arms like a bird flaps his wings and flew away into the air. I'm not going to believe that. Well, you're not going to believe that he flew away. You're probably not going to believe any part of the story. No, that's true. Because if, if you expect me to believe that, I'm not, I don't believe anything. You're t- right. So, so one, of the, one of the problems we've got to deal with concerning these eyewitnesses of Jesus is that they claim to have witnessed miracles. And miracles don't normally happen. And so how do we reconcile that? With the idea of believing them to be credible witnesses, I think that, that I think that's probably our biggest challenge relative to these eyewitnesses. Right. Okay. One of the points I would make there is also those like you had mentioned earlier in Acts four, where the apostles have have a, a miracle has been performed, and those in Acts five that are trying to get them to stop teaching on that point, here they are saying a notable miracle has been. Uh, performed and we can't deny it and yeah. and so he, they wanted to deny not only that the lord was the, the son of god uh this new religion was something that people ought to be following but they're they're denying uh wanted to deny the miracle and could not and so we've got them as witnesses saying i think that's, we can't them, deny I think that's the answer to this challenge nick i think you've hit on it exactly how in other words the the, the eyewitnesses say miracles happen we're saying, oh, wait a minute, miracles don't usually happen. But when even the enemies of Christ acknowledged that miracles were taking place, that, that quote that you referenced there in Acts chapter 4, when, when Peter and John had healed the lame man at the gate of the temple, and they called them into question, they sent them aside. Uh, this is Acts 4, 15 and 16. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So they were, you know, they like as you said, they had lots of reason to want to deny it, but they admitted we can't deny it. I mean, it's, it's a, it happened. We, it, it, you know, it's a done deal. So that confirms that the resurrection happened. Period. When you have the hostile witnesses that are willing to ex- admit it, then when, when, a, when that's that's. A, the, the proper terminology, Jacob, a hostile witness. When a hostile witness admits something decidedly not in his favor, then you've got to believe it to be true. Here's here's a, a, a maybe a, a courtroom parallel. Let's say we we got Jeff on. Uh, we, we, we we've tried him for murder here. We can't believe to, you did it, Jeff. I just can't believe you would do it. I like never I thought you would do that. But, but we got Jeff on trial. And, they, and, and so here I'm the prosecuting attorney, and I bring out this gun. And I say, I want to know something, Mr. Jeff. Is this, this is the gun that shot the man. We've run it through ballistics, so we know that the bullet that killed the man came out of this gun. And I want to know something, Jeff. Is this your gun? Well, you know that we know it's your gun already, right? We got the serial number. It's registered to you. And so you have to admit, yeah. That's my gun. But I didn't shoot the guy, but that is my gun. That's when the audience goes, oh. But But the fact that you admit something that you really don't want to admit proves that it's true. No, and so in in that trial, it would be, nobody would doubt the fact that your gun is the murder weapon. You admitted it. Now, you ha- you, you're you still denying that, you sh- that you're the one who pulled the trigger, but you admitted that it is your gun. And so that's taken off the table. That's not in question anymore. When you admitted something you didn't want to admit, that proves it's so. And that's what, as Nick said, that's what the, the opponents of Christ did. Right. They admitted that miracles were taking place. They couldn't deny it. They would have denied it. If they could have in any way, any way denied it, they would have denied it. But they could not deny it. They admitted that it had happened. Let me read you one more example like that one. In John, 7, excuse me, John 11, uh, verse 45, Beginning, it says, many of the Jews, which had seen the things Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, 
What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Again, notice they admitted this man is doing many miracles. We're afraid we're going to lose our position over it. But they didn't deny he was doing the miracles. All right. And uh, we also have the uh, the guards who, uh, who uh, you know, verified it. Uh, the, the Romans guards that were at the tomb verified that the tomb was empty. Uh, again, they would not have, uh, if the if, if, if tomb was not empty, if Jesus had not been resurrected from the dead, they could have easily produced the evidence, but they didn't. Guest 18 says Jeff shot the sheriff. <laughs> Maybe so. But he didn't shoot the deputy. All right. Uh, we're up to our last break. We'll take right. it when we come back. Just a few more concluding comments about these eyewitnesses. All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Do you remember when churches insisted on Bible authority for everything they did? Can you recall when church members always expected a thus saith the Lord? Remember when the church was well known for its book, chapter, and verse style of teaching and preaching? Are you upset because the church you're attending doesn't approach things this way anymore? Does it concern you that elders and preachers don't seem to care about Bible authority at all? The College View Church is still striving to do everything according to the New Testament pattern. If you're looking for a church like the one you remember from the past, please visit the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Statistics show that 7 in 10 children have accidentally accessed pornography on the Internet and 1 in 3 have done so intentionally. 40% of children accidentally access Internet pornography through innocent word searches. Statistics show that the average age of exposure is 11 years old and some start at 8 years old. That information is via the Washington Times. The Word of God says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible we'll study. welcome you back to the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Podcast a sermon from our web- website, and also listen to past programs, uh, we're going on uh, seven years now. Very soon, be seven years. That's and right. uh, seven years worth of programs on our website. So plenty of information for you to examine there. We look forward to hearing from you on tonight's program as we talk about uh, the credibility of the eyewitness testimony. Guest 798 in the chat room says Peter, who had denied Christ three times before his death, now boldly proclaims he is one of a number of witnesses that God raised Jesus from the dead. Acts 3, verses 14 through 16. I think you're exactly right, guest 798. To me, the most convincing proof that Jesus resurrected is those eyewitnesses. They had been cowardly deserters at the time Jesus was arrested and crucified. And just days later, they said, now do what you want to to us, but we're going to tell this story. What changed them? The only thing that could be accounted for the change is that they saw the resurrected Savior and they believed him. All right. We're we're running out of time and we've... Got a lot of questions to go, so we need to hurry here. Um, real quickly, one more thing about eyewitnesses that we should point out, Jacob, is uh, the the thoroughness with which they are willing to discuss the, the matter. Uh, it's been pointed out, I think Simon Greenleaf in his essay pointed out, that if a person's a false witness... They don't want to give very many details. Oh, that's right. Because they know the more details they give, the greater the probability they'll be discovered. Right. They'll, 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 they'll end up contradicting themselves or something. There's more some, uh, There's more things to check. The yeah, more things you yeah, say. The more you say, the more, the more things, as you say, there are to confirm or deny. So they don't want to give many details. Right. On the other hand, if you're telling the truth, you're willing to tell everything you know. You're right. not holding back anything. Right. So that's one of the ways that you can set in a court of law, for instance. That's one of the ways that an attorney would judge whether or not somebody's telling the truth. Are they forthcoming? Are they open? Are they willing to discuss completely this matter, yeah. or are they trying to hold things back? Okay. Well, what about these eyewitnesses of Jesus? Mm-hmm. They were completely forthcoming. A couple of quotes from John, John twenty verse thirty. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. He said then in chapter 21, verse 25, 
There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. They said, we got all kinds of details here. Yep. I mean, we can't even we can't even begin to write them all down. But he said, we've written a lot, and the reason yep. we've written so is you have a basis for your faith. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Luke said, of course, Luke himself was not an eyewitness, but was in company with those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. Luke said, uh, the former treatise, the Gospel of Luke, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. Those kinds of expressions indicate there was no hesitance on their part to tell everything they knew. Yes. All right. Uh, so certainly some good uh, things that you would need if in order to establish testimony. Now your next question was, do the eyewitness testimony, testimonies of, of those who witnessed Jesus provide those essentials? They do. And we've kind of touched about that on Really, what we need to go to probably is our last question. Then, if if they if they do pass these tests that's expected of eyewitnesses, we know these are the necessary tests. An eyewitness must pass these several tests. If the if the if the witnesses of Jesus pass them, and I believe they do, I think we've confirmed that they, at every at every juncture they are passing these necessary requirements. Right. The final question we ask, is it reasonable to believe in Jesus as the resurrected Son of God based upon the testimony of the witnesses whose reports are in the, in the New Testament? Jim in Kentucky says, yes, Jesus presented ample evidence for all the eyewitnesses to prove that he is resurrected. There's an empty tomb which was specifically guarded by professional soldiers just for the exact purpose of the Jews believing yes. that the followers of Jesus would try and steal the body. Yes. Jesus presented himself to several on the day he was resurrected. The women, Matthew 28, 9, his disciples, Mark 16, 14, even chastising them for their unbelief. The two men on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, 13. Jesus was touched by the women, Matthew 28, 9. He ate food, Luke 24, 41 and 42. They heard him speak to them, Mark 16, Luke 24. He revealed himself to them at different places at different times. He did all that a living person can do. Speak, eat, be touched, all provided to confirm him as being alive. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that in all, above 500 people saw Jesus, some at different times, resurrected. He is alive. All right. Jim's exactly right on that. And Chris, in the United Kingdom tonight, adds uh, some other good information. Women were disregarded and despised even in in the rabbinical phrase, sooner let the words of the law be burned than delivered to women. Their testimony was deemed so worthless they were not even permitted to serve as a legal witness in court. So how remarkable must it be that it is women, in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, who are the discoverers of Jesus' empty tomb? Any legend would certainly have made it the male disciples who discovered the empty tomb. The fact the women whose testimony was worthless are the chief witnesses to the empty tomb is most plausibly accounted for by the fact that, like it or not, they were discoverers of the empty tomb as the Gospels record. Although we can uh, not imply that the guard is, uh, by uh, standard historical criteria, passing the status of minimal fact and uh, so not historical in in that sense, there is the fact that the request for such a one in Matthew 28 shows a belief on the Jews' behalf that Jesus said he would arise and also by the uh, circulation of a story of a stolen body, either in the presence or not of a sleep or negligent guards, assist, attest to an empty tomb. Also, if a body existed, or at least 36 hour, uh, a 36-hour starved man under 100 pounds of spices, let alone the weight of uh, linen, who got beaten at least twice and scourged and stabbed by a spear, was able to come uh, to unravel himself yet take time to fold up his head covering, uh, could move a hundred or one ton plus stone uphill, could escape that tomb is more than highly unlikely. At the first public declaration of the fact that the resurrection on the part of the, of, uh, had occurred on the, on the part of the apostles in Acts 2 was 50 days away, during or just after a major Jewish festival in the grounds of a temple or synagogue nearby, relative, uh, near, nearly uh, relative to the tomb site, to over 5,000 people of broadly Jewish persuasion. And so, if a body could be produced or a public rebuttal could occur, we've surely occur, would have surely occurred rather than the mass revival or salvation of over 3,000 people. What Chris is saying there, just in a nutshell, is if the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, could have, could have presented the body of Jesus, they would have done it. Yes. 
They could put a stop to this new movement almost instantaneously by presenting the rotting corpse of Jesus Christ. If they could have, they would have, and they didn't. And so, again, that that confirms the empty tomb. The body of Jesus was gone. You know, one thing that we could comment about just briefly here, what about the accusation that these people didn't really see Jesus? They just they just wanted to so bad that they hallucinated. Right. In other yes. words, they were so distraught at the at the death of Jesus. They had put all their hopes and dreams and confidences in Jesus. Now he's he's suddenly taken and brutally killed at the hands of the Romans, and they're just devastated. And so in their in their deep depression and and horrible sorrow, they just imagined that they saw Jesus resurrected. They they hallucinated. They had a they had an hallucination. Well, the problem with that explanation, although it has been offered, the problem with that explanation is Paul says that he was seen of above five hundred witnesses at once. Well, now think about that. Hallucinations are a very personal matter. If I'm the kind of individual who has hallucinations, and you are too, Jacob, the chances that we would have the same hallucination simultaneously is almost impossible. Right. Then multiply that by 500 people. How could 500 people all have the same hallucination simultaneously? It would never happen. Impossible. That, that explanation just fails dramatically. And I also like Chris uh, pointing out the fact that uh, the... The proclamation of Jesus' resurrection occurred where the resurrection had uh, actually occurred. If I was wanting to pull over some wild story, I'd tell you I, I was in uh, I was outer, in, I was in the outer reaches of, of Africa somewhere in, in the bush country. And Jesus showed up to me, and I saw something. You got to believe it. Yeah. Was there anybody around that could witness it? No, but you just need to believe it. No, right. this was in the neighborhood. It's where right it in the right in the immediate neighborhood of Jerusalem. Anybody who wanted to could take a short walk out to where Jesus was buried and see the empty tomb. Right, easily verified. Uh, real quickly, we're just out of time, but we got an interesting question in the chat room from Soldier of Christ. He yeah, asked, we need to ask, ask Nick about this one. How can the evidences of Jesus's resurrection solidify God's existence as a whole? How does, in other words, how does the resurrection prove that God exists? Well, <laughs> the very fact, I suppose, that God has sent his son into the world as the son of God, you know, the miracles that Jesus did, uh, you know, is sort of like, I, I think of Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, uh, how can any man do these miracles except God be with him? And so the evidence is not just the fact of the eyewitnesses of what we've seen, but the witnesses of the miracles that skeptics have seen that uh, that verify the fact. And so God is bearing witness to all these people that sometimes people want to say, well, they're just lying through their teeth. Yeah. And they're dying for what they're lying about. It's just, you know, it, it's unreasonable it, to think it, the people it, are that it, lacking yeah. in intelligence. I think you're right. Here's why I think it solidifies the existence of God. The resurrection was a violation of the natural laws. It violated uh, the natural laws for someone to be raised from the dead. It's been proven by the eyewitness testimony that it did occur. For it, something to happen that is outside of the natural laws of nature, it must be it must be uh, caused by a force that is not dominated by the forces of nature outside of the laws of nature. That force must be God. I think you're there's right. No, there's no natural explanation. It can't happen by the natural course, by the natural laws of nature. The, the resurrection of Jesus is such a such a central part of the Bible that you could look at it this way. If you can prove that, then everything else the Bible says stands. You know, uh, what Jesus said about God is true. If you, if you can prove the resurrection, then you can prove that what he said about God is true. You can prove everything else in the Bible. Praise it. One of the reasons, well, here's a simple example. How can I believe the story of Jonah and the whale? Right in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. You know a good answer to that question? I can believe that story because Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus referenced Jonah. And the fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead and he gave credence to the story of Jonah and the whale therefore proves the story of Jonah and the whale too. Right. I mean, really, prove the resurrection. You have reason to believe everything else the Bible says. 
That's Dis- right. Disprove it, and we might as well throw our Bibles away and go fishing on Sunday. And, that's, and that's exactly what Paul said. Everything yeah. else is in vain if there is no resurrection. Exactly right. And fortunately for us, we have so many eyewitnesses who have testimony that cannot be refuted. We, we can have great confidence that, exactly uh, right. that uh, the resurrection did occur. All right. Out of time. Out of time. Nick, thanks for being a part of the program tonight. Thanks Glad that you're here. And, Dad, uh, good discussion as usual. Appreciate that. Thanks, thanks Jeff, for thanks. running the board. Jeff has had no camera or no microphone tonight, but he is But we there. did convict him of murder uh, in and the we process. Have, we have three eyewitnesses that Jeff is here, and we do appreciate him for <laughs> being a part of the program tonight as well. We look forward to you joining us again this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.